0: Blog Talk
1: Radio. It ain't the left side for the right side, and it must be the fifth side. It ain't the left side for the right, right, side right side, and it must be the fifth Look, the fans across the land all tuning in to see what Brian, Cat, and Paul about to do again. We rep our team. You can't change, stop, or ruin it. All we need is to figure what to do to win. Radio live and direct, win or lose, we're showing up for every contest. No puppet talk is all raw and unfiltered. Voice of the fans when the season looks
0: peculiar. Rock and apple orange over here, then you familiar. Every week they come
1: and do our speakers to fulfill the craze. We have to hear about our team and all the latest news. Best of rookies trying to make the team pay dues. Current players and alumni interviewed. City to city. If follow the moves Call the hotline Dolphins talk Set to go Best boys team And show all across the globe Ain't the left side Or the right side
2: Welcome to On the Finside, another episode. Here is our NFL Draft Recap Special. Uh, We've got a lot of opinions going on around here tonight. Follow us on Twitter and on Facebook, On the Finside. We have a great show. You're going to hear my opinion of the draft, Paul's opinion. Uh, We've got Ian Wharton joining us as well, contributing, always on top of the draft, as well as C.K. Parrott uh, a little bit later in, in the show. Uh, Fellas, so just to kick us off, to start out with a little bit of interesting news out of Miami this past weekend, maybe from a personnel standpoint that we weren't expecting very much. The Dolphins traded, I don't even know if you can call it it traded, Jamar Taylor to the Cleveland Browns. in a swap of seventh-round picks and defensive end DeMontre Moore, who we thought may have had some potential heading into uh, the 2016 season, was cut. So the Dolphins are no longer with Jamar Taylor or DeMontre Moore to start the 2016 season. Uh, Paul, does this surprise you? Um, It
3: does a little bit just because I expected Jamar to be in the front-running position for the nickel roll, but the kid needed a fresh start, and it sounds like with the style of defense that they're looking to play, he may have been on the outs anyway, so, I mean, being able to make that move up, get a guy they wanted, uh, I'm okay with it, even though, you know, I, I, I did like the potential of the kid.
2: Ian, uh, taking a look at these two moves, were you expecting to see Jamar Taylor and DeMontre more on the Dolphins in 2016 before this weekend?
4: Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I was definitely expecting Taylor to, uh, to at least compete, come to training camp, uh, to see what he had. Um, obviously, like he, you guys know, kind, of, kind of touched on to compete for the slot role, where he really kind of at, felt at home, I think, at the second part of 2015. If you look at what his performance was on the boundary compared to the slot position, he just looked a lot more comfortable in the slot. And I thought that he really showed uh, toughness that you want to see from the position. Um, this is a player that he was very athletic coming out of college. And I think that The multiple injuries that he had sustained early in his career uh, with the Dolphins, I I don't think he was nearly as athletic toward the the recovery stage um, when we started seeing him actually finally get on the field. I don't think he was as quick um, as he was when he first started, you know, with Boise State and then through the draft process. But ultimately, I thought he was going to be a nice average role player for Miami in 2016. And so I was a little bit disappointed that they sold so low on him. Um, They essentially gave him away which is just really strange to do, especially when you're trying to promote competition, um, you know, before you even get to training camp, you want to have as many bodies as possible who can come in and maybe compete for that roster spot. So <clears throat> Taylor was a little bit surprising it was, in that manner.
2: It, it was a little surprising, especially what a flop of 250 and 253 in the draft, very clearly giving the guy away at a position that you need bodies the most, just like you said. And now, you know, you, you're down to, you know, really a handful of players who are able to go out there right now and compete for you. Maybe you pick up along the way, uh, you sign a Gerard Powers or, or a Cortez Allen or a player like that, uh, but we'll we'll see what happens. A, a very interesting day for the Dolphins is May 12th because after that, now uh, you, you, that starts to not mess. If you sign a free agent like, like a Gerard Powers, it starts to not mess with the comp pick formula. Um, looking at moving on, uh the Dolphins have had a so little bit interesting news over the past week that their rookie mini camp day one, um, or their rookie minicamp is really going to be all classroom instead of uh, getting out there and really hitting each other, which is what a lot of the fans do want to see to begin with. You know, a little bit of a unique approach
4: to this, Ian. What do you make of this? Um, I was actually fascinated. I, I think it's a terrific idea. Um, you know, I, I was reading the quotes by Adam Gase, and uh, they were talking about, these guys going through this process since the end of the college football season where they're training every day, um, it doesn't matter that it's not necessarily football-related. You know, they're trying to run the 40 and, and hit these time drill and, and get these bookmarked scores so that they won't disqualify themselves from certain teams' boards. And, you know, they've been working hard. And I don't think people understand maybe necessarily how hard they train during this off season, but it's not football-related. So when they get back on the field, they're bulked up as more – olympians than they are football players and so i think this is a great opportunity to ease them in get them mentally prepared for what they're going to be going through physically it's going to take some time to get back into football shape um, they're in great shape but it's not necessarily football shape but that's what training camp's for and i think this is a great way to hopefully save some bodies you don't want anyone to go down like dante fowler did last year for the uh, for jacksonville so I think the more you can keep guys healthy, keep them fresh and help them mentally acclimate to the new situation. I think that's a terrific idea.
3: Yeah. And I think Ian hit the nail right on the head when he said mentally acclimate, because these kids have basically been sitting there with agents and you name it in their ear for the past three to six months, just prepping them up for getting drafted in the best position possible Um making themselves look as good as possible for the NFL draft, not to mention the physical aspect as well. So this is getting their head out of get-drafted mode, which, let's face it, they're a week removed because the draft is so late now, and getting them back in that football mindset. And Adam Gase is one of those guys, by all reports, that is huge on football smarts. And getting them in that classroom, he's going to see a hell of a lot more than he's going to see – whether his new linebacker can can run on grass. Uh, you know, so it's a benefit for the team, it's a benefit for the players, and it really gets them ready to go in the system that, that Gase and Vance Joseph, et cetera, want to run. And,
2: and looking at this whole thing, what, what I do like is it is creative, and it actually – unlike when Joe Philbin said, did something creative. This actually makes sense. Uh, you're not out there in the beginning and doing some meaningless exercises and some meaningless drills. You're actually getting in the classroom and trying to get on that same page uh, real quick. Paul?
3: Yeah, and, and one thing I want to say about that with the creative aspect, that like you said with Joe Philbin, the creative aspect is something that's been sorely lacking in Miami over the past several years, and the fact that Gates doesn't really care about the way things are done elsewhere, uh, et cetera. He's going to do it his way and in a way that he thinks is best for the players, for the team, and ultimately, in the end, that means best for the fans. So it's kind of exciting to see that he's not going to do everything the same way because you and I both know, I talked about it all the time, that whole cookie-cutter approach in the NFL is one that I absolutely hate, and I know it's what we saw a lot under Sheldon.
2: And speaking of exciting, the NFL draft took place this past this past Thursday and this past weekend. What well, we've all been waiting for, what we've been talking about here on the Fin side for months uh, with, with a lot of different people, CK, Ian, Paul, Brian, many, many people that we've had on here. Never in a million years did we expect Laramie Tunzel to fall to the number thirteen pick. It did come with conditions, but uh, Ian, you know something I noticed that you tweeted out because obviously after the the, the Tunzel pick, I'm, I'm I'm looking at your timeline, thinking what what you think of this. Um, you, you had had remarked on your Twitter that he was the highest, no pun intended, evaluated player since 2012 with Andrew Luck. Does the whole gas mask Incident change anything for you or are you still elated with this pick here at number 13?
4: Uh, I'm, I'm certainly still elated. I mean, I I never once saw a scenario where Tunsil would fall this far. Um, Even at number eight, if you would have told me that Tunsil was available, I just, I would have said that that's, there's no way, there's no chance a prospect that good playing a premium position, literally probably the third most important position in the NFL. Um, there's no chance that a player like that could fall. And it's not like teams – so then the video comes out, and obviously you start sliding, and you hear these really weird reports from, like, the Baltimore Ravens, San Francisco, where they come out and they say, well, this video changed how we viewed him, or they changed our approach from when he was on the board. That's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. It, that sounds to me, <laughs> to a team that wasn't prepared, for that possibility. And and I don't blame them for not preparing for that possibility (laughs) because, I mean, I wouldn't have prepared for that possibility, I guess. But, I mean, you had that long to look into this kid. Um, In that video, you know, the Dolphins talked about it after the draft. They knew of the video. And they had clearly done their homework on Laramie Tunsil. They knew what kind of person he was. They knew the time frame of the video. And, you know, I may not be a marijuana user, but I'm not going to sit here and act like, People his age and younger don't smoke pot sometimes. I mean, I don't I don't think that's a big deal. And we can't act like NFL players don't either. I mean, I would probably estimate that half, if not more, of players in the NFL smoke pot. Once they test you once for the year, you can smoke as much as you want. So they test you once. As long as you pass, then you're good for the year. Um, it's incredulous to think that, you know, that players are saints in the NFL, It's it's not – They don't necessarily need to be. It's a way to deal with pain, and it's a way to, you know, to do whatever they want. So, you know, outside of the the morals of it, you know, is it something that bothers me? I mean, uh, it's not really my business, quite frankly. If he's doing his job in the NFL and he doesn't get caught doing it, um, if he even still does smoke pot anymore, you know, that's another thing, too. Maybe he just doesn't do it anymore. You know, that's certainly possible. But as far as the on-field talent, I mean, there's no way that you could actually – get me to be less excited about this pick. Um, I think that he's gone through a lot, and clearly there were some people with some axes to grind against him. Um, And that's very unfortunate. It's very sad that someone would have that much uh, distaste for a young man like himself uh, to be able to try to sabotage his career like that. But um, I think those things are going to go away into his career, kind of like look back on Warren Sapp. Warren Sapp had similar drama entering the NFL, ended up going away as he kind of distanced himself from that, I think he'll he'll have a a similar story and then a similar impact for the Dolphins. And you really just don't get an opportunity to draft a player like that. uh, Maybe like once a decade. I mean, Jake Long was probably the last player the Dolphins drafted that was that good. Yeah. And, and
3: Ian, I want to touch on something you said. I know for,
4: for Kat and I were given our grades
3: a little bit later, but the fact that the Dolphins kind of were prepared. One thing I think that helped them out is Adam Gase and Larry Tunsil actually share an agent Jimmy Sexton. And by all reports, Jimmy called Adam right around the ninth or 10th pick and essentially gave these guys the honest answers on this. So the Dolphins really were set up and prepared. And after also already preparing a little bit, watching him slide, but they were set up and prepared, which I really liked the fact the Dolphins were able to, to move on their feet. I like the fact that, Dace is able to trust in his agent who's got his best interests in mind as well, when he's pointing out Tom's up So the fact that they were able to do that, that, that communication took place and they were all 100% comfortable in that room with making this pick at that point. I was happy to see, and that they made this move because he was the one guy leading up to the draft that I was willing to trade up to get when I'm usually a trade down proponent.
2: So looking at, looking to Ian at, Uh, the Laramie Tunzel and where he fits into this team. Do you see any issues with him being able to be that plug-and-play left guard for the Miami Dolphins between Brandon Albert and Mike Bouncey?
4: I am worried about him playing guard. Um, Admittedly, I'm not a fan of that move. Um, I'm not really sure what the legitimate argument is for moving him to guard over Brandon Albert. Um, Tunzel's a player, so his strengths really rely – on his fantastic athleticism, but also his highly refined technique. Um, the moment he signs his contract with the Dolphins, he will be a top five under 27 left tackle in the NFL in my eyes. There's just not many good players that young, and one of them just got locked up today. Actually, I think two of them, Cordy Glenn Cordy and Glenn, yeah. uh, Teron Armstead, are probably the two players that you'd put him in company with, Armstead you know, being probably a little bit better. Um, guy that the Dolphins almost drafted a couple years ago, actually. But anyways, so putting him at left guard would be very strange because he's not a power player. And even in a mixed system slash zone blocking system, which I expect Miami to continue to run, uh, his strength isn't really run blocking and continuing that momentum downfield. He's more of a, a guider in terms of his protection skill as opposed to a mauler. And it's difficult to win like that in the, in, in the NFL at the guard position, especially for a rookie. Um, as excellent as his body is, there's going to be an adjustment period where he needs to add more functional strength. Um, he needs to continue to improve his leverage, especially moving inside the guard. It's just something that he's never played before. So it's, it's, I'm not a fan of exposing players to new things that they've never once tried before. Um, at some point, there may be a time and place for that. Uh, but that's a difficult move. I mean, it, as hard as the tackle position is, I'd argue that as a rookie, left guard or right guard would be even more difficult just because of the physicality of the position. Um, the tackle, you're a little bit more based off of your speed and your quickness and recovery ability, whereas in the interior it's more about brute strength. Um, so my move there would be to move Albert inside. He's previously played it. He was actually a top guard prospect out of college, Um And I think it would help keep Brandon Albert healthy, which is what is most important, not only for him, but also for the team. I mean, there's no chance he sees that bloated salary on the roster in 2017 unless he's healthy this year. How do you keep him healthy? You keep him protected a little bit. You give him a little bit of a smaller space to be concerned with.
2: Yeah, I think we can all agree that Brandon Albert's on on borrowed time, Uh, even though he played well last year. Going to be 31 Right now, going to be 32 in November. Going to be 33 midway through the 2017 season with that bloated salary. So their second-round picky, and the the Dolphins in need of cornerback here throughout the, really the entire off-season, jumping from 42 up to 38 to grab Baylor cornerback Xavier Howard. Uh, is this a player that you were hoping that was going to fall to 42, or did you have another preference there at cornerback?
4: Well, it wasn't an overall overall very strong cornerback draft. Um, you know, I've been kind of vocal about that throughout the entire process. Um, it was deep of guys who you'd like to get on your roster and maybe sit for a year or two, see if they can improve where they need to improve and then try to make an impact. Um, but even at the top of the draft, I mean, I, I liked William Jackson a lot, um, but that was basically it. I mean, Bernard Argraves I thought was a nice player, but you know he's got some flaws, and I think he's limited overall as a player. Um, and Howard kind of fits that bill, too, where like he's the perfect scheme fit for the Dolphins. And so that's where the value lies is that hopefully he can get on the field as a rookie and Dolphins will protect him with safeties over the top and hopefully a little bit more of an athletic linebacker core this year because um, you're going to need to protect him. He's, he's a raw player from the Big 12. Uh, but He's got that length. He's got okay speed. Uh, you're really banking on that, that length really more than anything. The physicality at the line of scrimmage. Um I, I think it was a little rich for him, yeah. The trade-up is a whole other matter. I mean, just looking at the talent itself, you know, it's it's going to probably come down to him, I think, at that second cornerback spot, which is fine. Um, I like the talent. I didn't love the value that they gave up for him. Um, they they paid a heavy price, not only just with the second-round pick, but also with the fourth-round pick. Really overpaid probably for that trade. Um, and they may have been able to even stay there at 42 for him. But, you know, they got their guy and we'll we'll see how it works out. I mean, I'm not thrilled about him, um, but he was probably the best one available at that moment.
1: And, and
2: right, after you get past Laramie Tunzel and you start moving down the Dolphins draft board, start asking yourself, based on how picks were thrown around by Mike Tannenbaum and the players that were taken there, you know, was this the best value at at these spots? Going with that, Going on down the list, you know, the Dolphins started that seemingly started that running back run and maybe that second-tier wide receiver run with uh, Kenyon Drake from Alabama
4: and Laurenti Carew from Rutgers.
2: Uh, so w- what did you think of these picks, or were these good value in the third round?
4: Yeah, so I think they mistimed and misjudged that running back run just like they did the cornerback run. Um, there, You know, there wasn't a cornerback taken after Howard for another 20 picks. So I think that kind of shows that they, they weren't in tune with what the rest of the league was thinking as far as that position. And then they badly missed times the running back uh, position. So there was one running back taken in between Kenyon Drake at number 73 and uh, Kenneth Dixon at number 149. That was CJ Proseis yeah. and that was about you know, 15 picks later. So that's a really poor job of knowing where the rest of the league is at with the position. So I think, whether it's Chris Greer, whether it's Mike Tannenbaum, whoever it was, um, they've got to improve that moving forward. Uh, You can't be jumping the gun that early. You really need to find that value. Um, Value on that position, especially at running back, really falls on day three. And you saw a bunch of running backs go round four and round five. And that's where you really want the sweet spot. That's where J.H.I.U. was found last year. If you're not going to take a running back overly high, that's where you need to wait. You need to wait until that run actually starts. As opposed to trying to be the trendsetter with the run. Um, now Drake's talent's another issue. I, I, he's a, he's a fun kid. Um, he's a great kid overall of character, and I think that that's something that you kept seeing with the Dolphins draft. Um, same for Le- Leontee Carew. I mean, these are these are really good kids. Uh, I think they're going to be a really positive impact on this young roster. Um, but Drake, I mean, I have concerns. He had about 240 career touches, so he was barely used in college. Um, some could argue that's because of talent. He's behind, obviously, Derrick Henry, but also Boat Scarborough, who you're going to see next year. This kid is a freak. He is unbelievable running back talent. Um, but Drake couldn't get on the field really because of injuries. He had a couple of major injuries that kept him off uh, and out of the rotation. And also just because, uh, you know, you look at him and you say, well, what does he really do well? I think he's more of a receiver than a running back. I don't think he's actually an overall that great of a running back. I think his value is going to be as like a slot receiver, a um, guy that you flex out into different formations. Uh, you get him the ball into space, and he, he's pretty you know, deadly in, in space as far as getting up field quickly. It was just a little bit of a head-scratching pick as far as a really horrible value, um, trying to look past that and just saying, well, okay, now he's on the roster. He's a nice weapon to have, Um Adam Gase talked about how he wants to split the running back carries. He likes to give them entire drives to get them into rhythm. Drake's not really that running back. He's more of a sub-package player so I'm I'm just not really sure and maybe they'll prove me wrong and maybe you know that's something that we'll learn more about Kenyon Drake and his usage at Alabama wasn't maybe correct um, but based off of what we saw at Alabama I I really wasn't a fan of that pick um, Carew's a different issue now they paid a, again an extremely heavy price to go up and get him. They overpaid. They actually used both of their comp picks for next year um, in that trade, essentially. So, yeah, it's a heavy price to to get a player like that. But Carew's good. I think he's going to probably end up starting at some point this season, especially if Kenny Stills can't, you know, rekindle that flame that he had with New Orleans. If he can't catch the ball, I mean, Leontay Carew is the opposite. He's like a better version of Rashard Matthews. Uh, Very good deep threat really solid route runner, um polished player who had nothing around him at Rutgers and still produced at a high level. Um, again, uh, I, I think you worry a little bit about, did you just give up basically four assets, three or four assets um, for a guy that's kind of limited as maybe a number two receiver? Yeah. I think that's a concern. I think that you really now need Devonte Parker to blossom into that star. And, and they still, they think he will. And there's reason to believe that he, he may. Um, but Carew's a good player, and he's going to impact the team now. Again, it's it's almost like Xavier Howard where it's like you paid too much to get him. But now that he's on the roster, you see the benefit, and he's going to be a good player. Uh, he's a, a high-floor type of player and also a guy that you could see settling in long-term. Miami had a long-term need for wide receiver, so it's not like they couldn't use one more receiver. Um, I think Gates is going to have fun with him because you can move him into the slot too or you can also take him outside on the boundary and, and run a variety of routes with him, which he did a lot of, especially in Chicago. Mm-hmm. He likes to utilize the full route tree.
2: And, and Drake and Carew definitely bring immediate value to the Dolphins in terms of filling out the depth chart, adding playmakers, and, and getting the best players you can at those positions for 2016. But uh, what and what Paul and I will touch on in a bit, too, is, you know, I, I'm, I'm a believer, too, that you draft for the future, you sign free agents for the present. And, you know, I, th- I think the Dolphins kind of had that backwards on that, even though I do still think that they are they are good prospects. But maybe value-wise, they could have done things a little bit differently. So, Ian uh, Wharton joining us here on the Fin side. Follow him on Twitter uh, at NFL Film Study. And, uh, you know, we've gone well over 15 minutes here with Ian. Is there anything you'd like to add about the Dolphins' uh, 2016 NFL draft?
4: Um, you know, overall, I, I, I like the class. I like the players that they added to the roster. Um, really interesting draft. I, I, I'm not shocked that they decided to go heavy on offense. Uh, Adam Gase is going to have a lot of fun with these playmakers and sub-package players. Hopefully it works out for the best. I, I wasn't a huge fan of it outside of Tunsell, admittedly, but, you know, I am interested in seeing what Gase wants to do. And uh, I, I really like Adam Gase. I think he's a solid coach, and I think that he's a very creative mind. And um looking forward to what he can put together on the field and hopefully prove me wrong on some of these guys.
2: All right, Ian. Well, good luck to you, and thanks for joining us tonight.
4: Oh, it's my pleasure, guys, as always.
2: All right. Ian Wharton joining us here on the Fin side, follow him on Twitter, NFL film study. So Paul, we've got about 15 or 20 minutes before we get CK parrot on here to wrap up and put a bow on this 2016 NFL draft class. So let's go ahead and uh, go through and grade these picks as we do every single year with the Miami Dolphins. So we can go through this uh, pretty quickly. Uh, Laramie Tunzel, what's, what's your grade?
3: Absolute A plus. Um, he he's the one guy I talked about wanting to trade up for if he did slide, which after the two trades into the, the first two picks, I saw a possibility of him sliding as far as eight. So I was glad to hear Ian mention uh, pick eight a little bit. Um, but, again, I saw him sliding as far as eight and didn't see all the drama coming out. I don't think anyone did and see the possibility that we'd be able to sit at thirteen and draft it. Uh so absolutely you get the best player in the draft at the thirteenth pick. Seems like a good kid even though he's got had some off field stuff. I'm happy as hell. A plus you got your left tackle in the future, you got your left guard of today. Uh you solved it today and tomorrow issue all at once.
2: It solved today, the today and tomorrow issue. Very, very well said. I give it an A plus as well. I mean, we're not talking about somebody who, you know, a week ago, a month ago, hey, he was a, he was a, you know, projected number one pick or uh, uh, number five pick or, or number five over a pick. This was the morning of the NFL draft, the number one consensus NFL draft player. Uh, on the board, if you took, as I do every year, all ten of the draft boards of the Mel Kiper's, McShay, Mayock, and you combine them, Laramie Tunzel was the number one guy that morning. Um, if this were a video that came out, you know, the day before, I could say, okay, this guy is a special kind of stupid. But it was a video from two years ago. If I, if he fails a drug test. Here over the next couple of years, am I going to be surprised? Not really. But right now, right here today, the risk is worth the reward. And I'm looking forward to the Dolphins having Tunzel join three already very good players on the line, maybe four. With Brandon Albert, Mike Pouncey, Billy Turner, and Juwan James, I give it an A plus. Xavier Howard out of Baylor. Uh, this is a player that I actually on our draft show pre- predicted the Dolphins would take at forty two on that morning. Uh, Paul, your thoughts on Howard and the Dolphins trading up a few spots to get him?
3: Um, I'm going to grade this independently. I'm going to grade the Howard pick and the move up because I I think the move up turned out to be stupid. Um, Unnecessary. I think they probably would have gotten him if this got right where they were like all the rest of us do. But I like that in his post-pick press conference, uh, Chris Beard came out and basically said, look, we expected there to be a run on corners right there. The cupboards weren't looking really big. We're, we're, we're looking pretty bare to begin with, and this is a guy we had targeted. Anyhow, we wanted to make sure we got our guy, especially uh, predicting on on the, the run at corners. So, for me, I, I give it a B plus. The kid has a lot of upside. He fills a need today. Uh, there were some guys on the board that I liked a little bit more that would have liked to see Miami go after, but I totally understand the pick, and I think he's going to be a great fit for Joseph's defense.
2: Yeah, he's definitely someone the Dolphins can, can plug as that, that day one starter opposite Byron Maxwell based on ability alone. Six foot tall, 205 pounds, can turn and run is a very good fit for the system, um, very raw as well. I mean, how raw? Over the last two years at Baylor, he had nine interceptions and 19 complete penalties. So, you're really taking a risk there with uh, with Xavier Howard at that cornerback spot. But I, I think he has the upside to justify it. Uh, I give the player a B plus, but I, I, I'm going to overall my grade's going to be a B because I, I don't agree with the Dolphins moving from 42 to 38. I think they could have stayed pad, and in a worst-case scenario, you come away with a Mackenzie Alexander. A player actually was higher on my board, but I understand if it wasn't uh, that, that perfect fit. Uh, so third round, the Dolphins pulled a little bit of a surprise here at the running back spot. We're not surprised they took a running back, but that it was Kenyon Drake from Alabama. Uh, Paul, what do you think?
3: Um, at the time, the fact that they took a running back, I know you and I were both on board with that all of our mock drafts leading up. I think each time we had a running back go to them in the third round. Um, I don't think we ever had it be Kenyon Drake. Um, I I do think at the time I was less excited about it than I am now, but in general terms, based on the running backs that were available, and the fact that so many of those running backs lasted so long in the draft and Miami basically had to jump out of here or – probably not jump at it until round five and no one expected some of those guys to last till then. I'm going to give this probably a C plus, even though I think the player based on what I saw from the later picks and what I'm expecting against his offense, because of that, uh, I'm actually expecting the player to excel above that rating because I think there's a lot of exciting things that can be done here.
2: Yeah. I think this was a poorly planned selection here. It really, Uh, You know, one of the first, what, 10 picks of the third round, Uh, you take Kenyon Drake, who's the third running back to come off the board after Zeke Elliott and Derrick Henry. Uh, And you have a laundry list of running backs with good depth in the fourth and fifth rounds. Um, I thought it was a bad misevaluation. And. I also think it has a ripple effect, too, on the trade in the second round. When you trade a fourth rounder to move up a few spots to get Xavier Howard, now suddenly you you see a giant gap between that third round pick and that fifth round pick, which the Dolphins had at the time. Um, They could have gone best player available uh, at 73, whether that's uh, maybe a double down on cornerback, like a Kaveri Russell from Notre Dame, which I would have loved – or uh, a Kendall Fuller from Virginia Tech, or Jordan Jenkins, the linebacker from Georgia, who I think could be a starter in this league, and then always gone down to get a running back in the fourth round. There would have been just about all of them left. So very surprising for me. I'm I'm giving this a C-. One thing I will say about Kenyon Drake, which um, uh, Ian Wharton was starting to touch on, he does bring a lot of versatility to your offense. You know, I think when you look at him, he's very, very similar to Reggie Bush, maybe not quite as talented, but what he can bring in the passing game, return game, and, and as a runner with those springy legs and that versatility. And it also has a, a nice combo with Jay Ajayi, and you're not really paying either player hardly any money, and they both got a lot, of proof, a lot to prove. Third round, the Dolphins, you know, <laughs> Paul, I was actually – chatting with you or texting with you at the time, you know, because we, we weren't expecting to pick again until the fifth round. And you just said the Dolphins traded up. I'm like, traded up from what? They From the from the fifth round? Turns out they packaged their third and fourth round picks next year and a sixth rounder uh, this this year right here to move up for Rutgers wide receiver Leontay Carew. Um, what do you think?
1: Well,
3: I will say it was it was kinda of humorous that you and I were texting, um, talking about how things were, what the land of the land could be for the next for the next day and with no expectation they had any the ammo to come back and and come after anybody the anything that they were and I, I, I immediately thought when I messaged you that that I had accidentally rewound my D V R and forgot to fast forward again. Um until I saw the eighty six and there there was a lot of confusion. And then they picked Leontae Carew, which I know when we talked, uh, you and I were eyeballing wide receivers a little bit as a possibility here. Not everybody saw it as a need, but Kenny Stills was wildly inconsistent last year. Matt Hazel's a guy I like, but, but he's unproven at the NFL level. And then you don't have anybody else behind Landry and, and Parker at this point. So, there was a need at wide receiver both now and in the future, especially with Kenny stills coming off contract again of this the season. Um, so I look at Leontay Carew and quite honestly, I get absolutely giddy about what the Dolphins are going to be able to do in their receiving core. I get even giddy a later, but as it stands at that point in time, um, I don't love the trade up to, to get it. I, I don't like sacrificing in the future. But I do like the confidence with which Chris Greer and all that front office staff are standing together as one and going after these guys that they have targets on getting their guys. So value-wise, it was a little rough giving all that up in the trade, especially after giving up some other stuff uh, to move up four spots unnecessarily earlier on. But Value-wise, I'm giving it a B, but I think the player's going to exceed that expectation and look damn good, possibly stealing Kenny Smith's starting job here. So we may be three starters and a situational player and kickoff returner in in the first four picks, which, hey, that, that's a lot better than we've been some years, and I'm very curious to see how he gets utilized in this offense.
2: Yeah, I I like Leontay Carew from Rutgers. Has a little bit of Jarvis Landry in him. Very, Mm -hmm. not the biggest, not the fastest, but very competitive, strong hands, fights for the ball, short, compact type of build. Has had 20 touchdowns for Rutgers over the last two years. And, yeah, I, I think it's very possible that he supplants Kenny Stills pretty early as that third receiver. And let's make, let's be clear here. The third receiver in today's NFL really is a starting position. And now you have Kenny Stills being able to rotate in for one more year uh, as that deep threat. Um, you know, I, my problem again is, is what they gave up, you know, a third, a fourth and a 6th you you're talking about the equivalent of a second round pick um, for that. And, you know, I, I start to think, that would Carew have been available for the Dolphins had they kept that fourth round pick and, you know, picked 107, you know, to give you a frame of reference as where the drop down was on the NFL draft board, Chris Moore from Cincinnati, a lot of, a lot of people had ranked over Carew went 107 with that pick that the Dolphins traded to the Ravens. And then right after that, you still had Malcolm Mitchell from Georgia on the board. And one of my favorites, um, Pharaoh Cooper from South Carolina, I didn't see a big difference between Carew, Chris Moore, and um and, and Farrow Cooper. But obviously the Dolphins did. Overall, when looking at this pick, when considering the trade, I'm gonna give this a C plus, but I, I do agree, I think Carew could could exceed some expectations um on that. So Paul taking a look at the, at the remaining picks for the Dolphins, you've got wide receiver Joaquin Grant cornerback Jordan Lucas from Penn State, Brandon Doherty from Western Kentucky, and Thomas Durante from UCLA. Which of these prospects out of these remaining four really stick out to you?
3: Um, I mean, I like Lucas, but the two that really stuck out to me and really gave me – well, we'll go, we'll go into a third as well. But Jakeem Grant, this is just an absolutely exciting football player with – ridiculous video game moves when he's out on the field. Uh, well, it translates to the NFL. I sure as hell hope so. The guy's got world-class speed. Um, and the more footage I watch of this kid, the more I like. Not just in terms of the fact that between him and Kenyon Drake, I don't expect Jarvis Landry to be out there on many kickoff and punt returns, even though he does a great job. Um, and, which means we'll have a fresher Jarvis Landry towards the end of games. But also what he could add as a moving situational player uh, on that offense. It, I really think that Adam Gase is going to do that thing that we keep talking about and harping on and going into over and over and over and over again in the past few seasons, which is play to the strengths and weaknesses of the players on this roster to create mismatches and find ways to keep the defenses on their heels, which just puts the offense in better position. And with guys like Thomas Duarte, who I think may be able to actually take a lot more snaps than people think this season because of his skills in the receiving game and the mismatches he can create, and take guys like Joaquin Grant and throw him out there on, on periodic plays and just let him not just be good in space with a guy like Jakeem Grant. He creates his own space, which not a lot of players can do. So there's a lot to like. And then the fact that they may finally have found a Matt Moore replacement in Brandon Dowdy, uh, uh, I'm thrilled with this, with how the rest of this draft turned out, even if there was some issues with how they exchanged picks with other teams that had me kind of disappointed at times. I'm going to look at the players themselves. And for me, the way they came out of this draft with these players is just absolutely Phenomenal, and, and these are guys that are going to make a huge difference for this team. And that's what you want to see in the draft, regardless of anything else. That is, first and foremost, what you need from an NFL draft is to get players that are going to make a difference on your team. And I feel like the Dolphins did that for the first time in a long time from top to bottom.
2: I really like the picks of Jakeem Grant and Thomas warrante from UCLA. I, I think those are cheap options. I expected them to go a little bit higher in the draft. I mean, Jakeem Grant, yeah, five foot five and a half, really that Dante Hall, Darren Sproles type of size wasn't invited to the combine, even though he had over 1200 yards at Texas tech. Um, then at, at the com- at his pro day, he ran a, some people had him timed number under a four two, which would have been one. Which would have been the fastest in NFL draft history in the combine. And if you're talking about a player in the fourth or fifth round, or you know even higher than that, then I, I'd, I'd say then that's one thing. But we're talking about a sixth round draft choice here, who can return kicks, brings uh, unusual competitiveness to the position. And if he fails out of the league, he fails out of the league. You're you're only. Um, with a sixth-round pick. Uh, You're only out of sixth-round pick on that. Duarente, 6'2", 231 pounds, converted receiver, um, a player that gave Sue Cravens all sorts of problems at USC when they played. I think this is a player that's on the rise. I was very surprised as well to see, see him there in the seventh round. Jordan Lucas is one that doesn't do a whole heck of a lot for me. I thought he was an average player at Penn State. Has some cornerback safety versatility. Not quite sure where he fits in, but if he plays well on special teams, uh, could compete for a roster spot. Brandon Dowdy from Western Kentucky. Got to be honest on this one. This is probably the only quarterback I didn't want him to take. I I don't see much of an arm with this kid uh, where somebody, like I had predicted to them in the seventh round, um, uh, Josh Woodrum from Liberty, I I thought had the size – the ability to spin the ball, that was impressive. At least that's something that you could develop uh, over two to three years. So we're going to talk a little bit more about the NFL draft with C.K. Parrott, who's really, over the last three months, we've been wearing him out. But now it's 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 our opportunity to tie everything back together with C.K. Um, as we head into the 2016 um, summer and uh, eventually 2016 season. So, Chris, how you doing tonight?
1: And
2: uh, we don't have – all right, I think we just got Chris on the line. Sorry for the technical difficulty. Chris, how are you tonight, sir? I'm doing
5: great. How are you
2: doing? Good. This is really your moment to shine. You know, you've uh, This is. – it's been like three months in the making that we've been talking about the draft, and now the Dolphins finally have the players we can insert onto their roster and talk about. So, obviously, we know where to start right there at the top. Laramie Tunzel, uh, you know, and, and I, I've i got to say before I, you comment on him, it, you really did teach me a lesson on this because I know you don't like to play that game where it's like, hey, let's take these guys off the board. They're not going to be there. We're picking 13th. Forget about it. Uh, and then Laramie <laughs> Tunzel ends up falling to the 13th pick. <laughs>
5: that's true. That's true. I, I think uh, multiple times it's like, let's take these 10 guys off the board. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> I think uh, I think that's, that's pretty much why you never know what's going to happen.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, Laramie Tunzel, you know, your your reaction um, w- was probably similar to ours, you know, just shock when the guy falls to 13. Um, it, but this is a player, too, that, y- you know, I'm not going to say you weren't high on, but you, you actually liked Ronnie Stanley a little bit better than at least heading up to a couple of weeks ago. So uh, from a talent perspective, uh, you know, do you still think this was great value at 13? And are you concerned about his character?
5: Well, I think that you do have to be a little bit concerned. It's not necessarily, let's not put it in character terms. Um, You do have to be concerned that he's going to continue to be complicated. Uh, And that can be because of his character, or it could be because of people around him. Uh, He clearly has somebody that is out to get him. And that person is dragging up really embarrassing things. And going public, uh, it's like uh, you know Miko Grimes had become an estranged wife instead of a instead of a you know active wife. Um, so somebody somebody's out to get him, and that could that could continue to drag up things and, and distractions, and you just don't know what's going to happen there. But overall, like as he was falling down the board uh, more and more, because I think it t- took all of us some time to process exactly what was going on. But it became apparent as we're going down that this is mostly a PR thing, uh, that teams are paralyzed because of the PR aspect of uh, Laramie Tunsil. And that's when I really got on board uh, as far as, you know, Miami should pick him if, if he gets there to number 13 because I don't believe in being paralyzed because of non-football reasons. And, and this was a non-football thing. It was clear that this video was, uh, was fairly old. It did not look like it would affect him uh, in any way in the NFL. Uh, It's just that he was going to have a lot of questions to answer. The team was going to have a lot of questions to to answer, whichever team took him. Um, So, you know, at that point, you're just, you know, and, and the madness and, and take the guy uh, because this isn't, this isn't really, he's not dropping for football reasons. Now you are correct that I had Ryan Stanley above him as a left tackle. Uh, And so am I saying that we got the number one overall prospect in the draft or or somewhere close to the number one overall prospect in the draft all the way down at 13? No, I don't think so. Um, Did we get someone that clearly fits in the top six or eight or, somewhere along those lines, all the way down at 13? Yeah, I think we did. Uh, So, it's funny because we talk about Jack Conklin and what he could be. To me, he was the top guard in the draft. Uh, Jack Conklin was. He could be your left guard immediately, play a thousand snaps that way, and then down the road, you know what? He might even be your left tackle. But with him, it was always kind of a might. Uh, He might be your left tackle. I mean, he could clearly play there, but would he just be another Derek Deese right. would he just be another, uh, you know, uh, Donald Penn, somebody like that, or would he actually be an impact left tackle? Laramie Tunsil, I never even thought about in those terms because I never thought that he would be available at 13, no matter how many scenario analyses you run through. Um, but if I had been thinking along those terms in terms of a combination player, a guy that could play guard immediately and then play left tackle, Laramie Tunsil is clear number one there. Uh, so mm-hmm. Ronnie Stanley was, the, was to me the number one left tackle If I have to move one to guard immediately Because I just don't have a place for him at left tackle right now And then I have to move to left tackle I might actually take Laramie Tunsil above Ronnie Stanley Because I'm not sure that Ronnie Stanley can play that first year Or those first two years at left guard Before he moves mm-hmm. over to left tackle so if I'm thinking about the value and the fact that I've got these guys you know, on a four- or five-year contract and, and I need to get the most value while they're cheap, um, I, I still might take
2: Laramie Tunsil over Ronnie Stanley, given the Dolphins'
5: needs and a specific place that he, he might play immediately and then move over.
2: And that is an interesting point that you bring up too, because when you look at the Ravens roster at left tackle, they've got Eugene Monroe, who's, you know, kind of winding down a little bit, has been injury prone. They may have to take a look at Stanley at guard um, for them. So very interesting things to think about. Uh, you know, I, never in a million years did I think would be playing left guard for any team, much less the Miami Dolphins. Xavier Howard out of Baylor, you know, we talked about cornerbacks Several weeks ago through around a lot of names, uh, you know, Mackenzie Alexander, Kaveri, Russell were there when the Dolphins were picking in the second round. They trade up a few spots, give up a fourth round for Howard. What did you make of that selection?
5: Well, I think that the Dolphins had probably about four guys,
2: I think it was four, that they had graded
5: as starters. Uh, people that there are corners that could start immediately, and they knew they had an immediate hold. They need an immediate starter. Uh, So they, they went into this draft knowing that they had to get one of them. Uh, So I think that when the Laramie Tunsil development came along in the first round, uh, suddenly they're saying to themselves, well, then this has got to be, this has got to be Zavian Howard. This is the, the, he's going to be the fourth of the four that can play and start immediately. And the one that's, want to be available closest to their number 42 pick. They went ahead and moved up, and everybody talks about the exorbitant price tag that they got. But, you know, you have to keep in mind what, what caused that, what caused them to have to pay that price tag. And it was them going ahead and taking Laramie Tunsil at 13 instead of filling the immediate huge need that they have at corner right now. Uh, so because they went ahead and, and did the luxury pick, you know, that Laramie Tunsil was a luxury pick, uh, but he was just too good of a talent to pass up. Because of that, they needed to pay up in the second round to make sure that they got hold of Xavier Howard. And the reason they did that is because they were contacting Xavier Howard. I mean, once the Miles Jack shenanigans happened and it was clear that they weren't going to get Miles Jack they contacted Xavier Howard and said, we're going to make you our second-round pick. And, uh, and he said, problem. The Bears already just told me the same thing. And the Bears picked ahead of the Dolphins. So the Dolphins had to jump up a couple of spots and get ahead of the Bears and take him, Because they knew if they walked away from this draft without a starter at corner, then they were in deep trouble. Uh, so they got the last guy remaining. It's not necessarily that they love Xavier Howard. It's that he was the last guy remaining that they thought could start. And so they took him. He's a Byron Maxwell, as many people have said. He's kind of a Byron Maxwell clone. Um, I think that he kind of actually compares a little bit with, like, a Bashad Breland. Um, So, you know, these guys, sometimes I have a little bit of trouble with them. But in the system that the Dolphins plan on running, with the themes that they're going with at corner, um, it It fits. I I give credit when it's a clear fit, Uh, even if it's a player that I didn't didn't necessarily have rated as highly. Uh, A good example of that would be Darren Lee with the Jets. Uh, I didn't have Darren Lee rated that highly, but for Todd Bowles' defense where he needs that hybrid player, that hybrid linebacker safety player, uh, he fits. He's one of the few that I actually consider to be a true hybrid uh, between a defensive back and a linebacker. Some other guys like Siwa Cravens I consider to be a straight-up safety. Um, So, you know, even if I didn't have the player rated as high, the fit was really, really good, and such was the case with Xavier Howard. So I gave the Dolphins uh, some credit for that.
2: Now, uh, Chris, I hate to play the what-if game on this, but say at number 13 Laramie Tunzel didn't fall to that spot. All three cornerbacks are off the board, you know, Jalen Ramsey, Vernon Hargreaves, and, and Eli Apple. At uh, attack you've got Tunzel, Stanley, and, and Conklin off the board. Do you have a feeling one way or another where the Dolphins would have gone at thirteen? Uh,
5: I believe because Miles Jack had fallen, if and in the scenario that you're talking about, where the corners did not uh, did not make it, um, then I believe they would have gone with Miles Jack all the way at thirteen. Uh, and I have
1: mm-hmm.
5: fairly good information on that. Uh, to that, where I think it gets a little dicey, a little hairy. Uh, is uh, hypothesizing what would have happened if Eli Apple were available and Miles Jack, and those were the two that they were looking at, or uh, Vernon Hargreaves and Miles Jack, and those were the two that they were looking at. I believe that they could have gone with Hargreaves, and I'm not sure what they would have done in the case of Apple.
2: Very interesting. Looking at the third round, Kenyon Drake was one that uh, raised a few eyebrows, mostly because it was the beginning of the running back run that the Dolphins started after Zeke and after Derrick Henry. You know, we, we touched on Drake a little bit a couple weeks ago. What do you make of this pick? Was this a reach here early in the third round? Well, I mean,
5: you don't have to like every pick. Um, and like I said, it wasn't that I loved uh, Xavier and Howard as a prospect, but I, I did really appreciate the uh, – the the fit and the themes that he uh, that he struck with the dolphins. I didn't like the Kenyon Drake pick. Uh, I don't think there's any running away from it. Um, I don't see him as a real running back at the NFL level. Uh, when I did my evaluations of the running backs, I, I tend to do them side by side so I can really so I can really pick out you know, how these guys differ from one another. Um, I will say that on the positive side, I didn't I didn't note that. Listen, we can pick apart this guy's game, and trust me, there's a lot to pick apart. Uh, But he's going to find a role in the NFL because he is good at what he's good at. And so when you get him on outside zone or you get him on jet sweeps, you get him out in space, you get him on running back screens, you get him and you actually motion him out of the backfield and lined up wide like a receiver. He's built like a receiver. He plays like a receiver. When you do these things, then he's going to be able to find a role and and kick returns. Kick returns he'll he'll take probably take up immediately. So what's going to happen with a Kenyan Drake? And I predicted this long before the draft. Is he's going to keep getting opportunities because he has the roles that he has. It's so easy to punch him in to what he's going to be good at. And because he's going to get those opportunities, you never know if the light is going to. Turn on with him sometime down the road It's like Daniel Thomas The light never turned on But what, did he, what happened with him He kept getting opportunity after opportunity After opportunity and the reason was Because he was a good blocker And because when you got the ball to him Out in space especially in the Passing game he can make a person Miss and actually kind of look decent Sometimes uh, but you Give him handoffs in the backfield and you Try to make him a real running back that's where The trouble came in but Eventually, something could have happened eventually with Daniel Thomas, and White could have turned on, for all we know. He could have become a good back. It happened with Mark Ingram. Uh, So I think that Kenyon Drake is going to get those opportunities year after year because it's so easy to peg where he fits and so easy to imagine what he's going to do for this offense and do it well. Now, as a running back, I think you notice that in the backfield, He's got to be you know, pretty deep back there uh, because he doesn't have very good vision in the backfield, very good decisiveness about where to hit the hole. Um, he wants to bounce everything outside, uh, clearly. Uh, he's a guy that was very dangerous for Alabama on jet sweeps, for instance. But what was going on in those jet sweeps? Derrick Henry was in the backfield on those jet sweeps.
0: And when you have
5: Derrick Henry back there, you could see it. You could freeze frame and see it. All those linebackers, all those safeties, and defensive backs were frozen in place looking at Derrick Henry and not really paying attention to the man on the jet sweep, you know, uh, with Kenyon Drake. So I think that it's going to be a little bit more challenging getting him that open on the outsides for Miami when you don't necessarily have Jupiter in the backfield and and Derrick Henry. So. Hopefully Jay Ajayi really steps up and becomes that every play guy. Anyway, and this is all moot. But I don't think that uh, it was a good value where they took him, you know, mid mid to top of the third round for such a kind of specialized player. I feel like I could have gotten that later. But you know, that's their prerogative. He is a mismatch player, and Adam Gase is a mismatch offensive coordinator. So hopefully he just proves me wrong, and uh, and you know I look like a look like an idiot by the time we're we're all done with this.
2: Well, if for nothing else, it gets Damien Williams off the field. Uh, w- at least we would hope, because if not, then that's really a problem. Uh, I, Paul, I believe we have a caller real quickly. Hello. No, I guess. So we're going to go ahead and move on. We're going to go ahead and move move on to our second third round pick, Leonte Carew. Uh, out of Rutgers, now this was an interesting one because the dolphins trade a third and fourth round pick and a sixth round pick to move up to Le- for laurente for Leonte Carew. Uh, did this surprise you a little bit paul or, or excuse me uh, chris
5: I think the the pick or the pick surprised me, but the the trade surprised me as well. But when you look at it and I said this you know kind of immediately when I looked at the terms, these terms were almost exactly the picks that they expect to get via the compensatory formula next year. So it doesn't matter which year they're in. It's just, you know, it's a third a fourth and a sixth and they expect to get, I think a third a fourth and a seventh via the compensatory process. So to me, this is basically um, a luxury pick. This is, this is them saying, Hey, we've got these extra picks coming to us from the compensatory process. Uh, Let's let's use it on a luxury. And it it is my understanding that this was a Sean Jefferson guy that the wide receivers coach of Miami is, uh, is really, really high on him and looked him in the, in the eye and said, I'm going to do everything I can to get you uh, to the Miami Dolphins, and he did. And so uh, I look at it, and I like the idea, actually, of a luxury pick in this scenario. I like the idea of monetizing those compensatory picks uh, even this year. Uh, I just would have done it for a different position because I look at this draft and I say, if this is a luxury pick, if this is a guy that isn't necessarily filling an immediate hole, uh, then I look at the fact that the defensive tackle board in this draft is so stacked, is so thoroughly stacked, and yet we're having a hard time justifying taking, taking one because we don't need one immediately. Um, but with this luxury pick, I'm going to go ahead and dip into that really, you know, really deep pool, and Javon Hargrave is sitting right there available. So I would have taken him uh, with that luxury pick. That said, Leonte Peru is an interesting receiver. He's a very strong receiver. I think the one trait that you, that you can point out uh, on him that makes him unique from the other players is his balance. Uh, you watch him over the course of five, six games. I'm not sure you'll ever see him fall. Uh, you'll see him get tackled, and you'll see him dive to the ground for a ball that, that needs to be you know, dived to the ground for but you just don't see him fall. Uh, he's, he's a guy that will leap in the air, catch the ball, land on his feet. He always keeps his feet directly under his shoulder pads. And that's his, that's his key trait. That's really what separates him and what has made him successful at the college level. I don't know if he's going to be that way at the pro level. It reminds me a little bit of Wes Welker, but he comes in a bigger package. Um, I think that another guy that, uh, that probably compares well with him is uh, the – the green bay receiver um james uh what was his jones. Name again jones sorry yeah, james jones he compares with him a little bit a lot of people are comparing him to richard Matthews, and i get that but uh if you don't have that really good balance then i then i don't think that you're quite getting the comparison with leontae Carew. i think that's that's what makes him so good uh now he is an uh, an attitude guy uh he is definitely they call him an alpha personality he is that I think because of that, he has been in some trouble uh, in the past, so that's something to watch out for. But um, but he's a guy he's a guy that should be interesting because he's got that NFL strength, and in addition to the balance, I think the the thing that stands out about him, probably the most aside from the balance, is how good he is getting off the press. Uh, he is clearly one of the better uh, receivers in the draft at getting off the press. He uses his hands very well. He's very quick hands um, and he's very well coordinated, and uh, and so he gets off the press like a pro, and so you got those right. two things. You got getting off the press like a pro and really really good balance along the route, uh, and I think that's that's something. You have got something that might work in the NFL. I'm just not sure if he's going to be a star or not.
2: And, you know, if we get a bigger version of Wes Welker, I'm not saying that's what you're saying, but in terms of body type and comparison, or a bigger version of Jarvis Landry, you, you really hit a home run there. What, what I do like about the Carew pick, he seems to be that type of receiver that Ryan Tannehill will play well with. In terms of the routes that he runs, um, uh, the competitiveness for the football, uh, in especially in single coverage, this could be a really good fit and a really good third guy to put alongside Devontae Parker. Uh, And Jarvis Landry So we weren't expecting the Dolphins to have such a big gap In this draft with their picks But they didn't pick again Until the 6th round, moved around a lot We've talked about this on the show So I'll I'll open this up to you Chris The Dolphins also selected Two players in the 6th round, two in the 7th round Wide receiver Jakeem Grant from Texas Tech Safety Jordan Lucas From Penn State quarterback Brandon Doughty from Western Kentucky Tight end Thomas uh, Dorente from UCLA. I may have m- mixed up a f- or messed up a few of those names. And I'm going to go back after this and see if we've talked about any of these players on the show. I have a feeling we've talked about three of these four, believe it or not. Um, so what do you make of these final two rounds for the Dolphins?
5: Well, I think that after day two, when they started to do some things between Xavier and Howard and Ken Drake that I might not be terribly high on, um, they really picked it up in day three uh, with, these four picks in particular, we have talked about three out of the four guys. We never got around to talking about Jordan Lucas, which is unfortunate, but, uh, but we can, if you like, Uh, Jakeem grant is one of my favorite picks in the entire draft for the Miami dolphins. Uh, This is a guy that has, he may be, he may be the fastest player in the draft. He may be one of the fastest players to come out of the draft in quite a long time. And it's not just straight line, you know, track speed. Is his functional speed with him? Uh, and I love that the attitude that he plays with. Um, I can listen to him interviewed all day. I said that before on Twitter. Uh, you know, just the attitude that he brings to the table that way is, is phenomenal. Um, he's only five foot six and 165 pounds. I get that. And because of that, you're not going to be able to use him over the short uh, and intermediate middle. That, that much because you're just not going to be able to see him or get the ball to him over the offensive line or and the defensive line. Uh, his, his place is in the flats and the hashes. And, uh, and I think as an offensive coordinator with Adam Gaze, if you can get him, if you can scheme him into the flats and the hashes, then you're doing a really good job. If you're trying to get him along the sidelines uh, or over the intermediate middle, then I I don't think you're doing a great job uh, of scheming him right. But you get the ball in his hands, he is absolutely electric. Uh, he gets he, surprisingly he gets off of the jam, and players are afraid to actually try and jam him because he's so small and he's so fast and so hard to get a hold of that you actually have to. I've I've listened to say for instance Tre'Davious White of uh, LSU talk about this and you want to get your hands on him you want to to jam him but you've got to school yourself and say no no I can't do that um and Tredavious White by the way one of the top corners in next year's draft and he was burnt to a cinders by Jakeem Grant in the bowl game and this is uh I mean this is a player that you look at what he did against LSU he made these players look silly you got you know Deion Jones who's a but his finalist and 4.40 speed and, uh, and you know, this this great starter. And you get Jakeem Grant out there putting a move on him that just makes him look silly. Uh, you know, he collides with another player and falls to the ground because Jakeem Grant, you know, burnt him. So uh, I think that you look at him, his tape, and the more I look, the more I like. The thing that he's got to do as a Miami Dolphins, he's got to get on the jugs machine and he has got to get, Really, really good at catching the football. Um, I know it's going to be a little hard because he's a small guy. He's five foot six. He's lucky. He's got almost nine inch hands. He doesn't quite have nine inch hands, um, but you know he's got to really get on the judge machine and make sure he can catch the ball. But otherwise, I wouldn't be surprised if he takes that return job away from Kenyon Drake because he is that fast and, and that um, that good of a runner with the ball in his hands. He's not like he's as fast as Trindon Holiday on a straight line basis. Uh, and Trendon Holiday is one of the fastest players I've seen in the NFL in in quite a long time. Um, But he also has that functional speed. So that's what makes me so excited about him. Uh, The other guy that we talked about, uh, Brandon Dowdy, Western Kentucky, as a quarterback, you know, he reminds me a lot of uh, is really Jared Goff. And I think that when you compare these guys on tape, you're actually seeing probably the same level of overall talent um, in terms of throwing the football, getting spin on the ball, uh, accuracy, ball placement, um, and even in their setup, their, uh, their, their footwork and their, their quickness of their feet and their setup and, and drop. Uh, where I think that Jared Goff has him is I think he's, he's a little bit faster of a clock, um, and he's also a little bit better under pressure. That's why he's the number one overall pick, Brandon Dowdy's in seventh rounder. But um, I, I'm very intrigued by this guy. I know that Dan Marino likes him. I know that he was uh, that he's very high on him, um, and uh, and so I think that this is a guy to look forward to seeing uh, take the backup the primary backup job uh, from Matt Moore. It might even happen this season. I think he's got a lot of talent throwing the football, he's got a lot of accuracy, and and he can get it to every single. Uh, part of the field and he's not afraid to do that you know at Western Kentucky he threw by the way he he scored 100 touchdowns last uh, that 100 touchdowns total and rushing and rushing and uh and passing Uh, most of it was passing obviously I think he only had three rushing touchdowns but um but yeah that's uh, tremendous production and his accuracy is really off the charts I mean you take into account his drops and and the other situations where you're not expected to be accurate his accuracy is, is off the charts that way. And he played in Jeff Brom's offense, which means that he's got a good grounding in West Coast concepts. And so I think that this is, this is an all-around you know, great pickup for Miami in the seventh round. Uh, the other guy that, that we mentioned probably and have talked about is Thomas Duart, uh, the tight end from UCLA. And the thing that makes him unique, the thing that I, may, I think is going to make him successful in the Miami uniform is that he's a smart player that, unlike a tight end, he actually moves like a slot receiver. It's not just, you know, Jordan Cameron I think, is, I think of as more of a linear player. Um, he is a receiver convert, but as a receiver, he would be kind of an an outside guy, a perimeter guy. Uh, Thomas Duarte is more of a slot receiver. He's more like a Charles Clay. Uh, Charles Clay was more like a slot receiver. He's good on the move, that one cut on the move, uh, and I think that that's um, that's his game. His uh, his mental game is very strong, uh, and he had NFL players around him at UCLA. Yet he became the most important part of the passing offense, despite having other guys like Peyton and uh, and Devin and Devin Fuller around him. Um, so I think that he's he's a very interesting pick. And looking at Jordan Lucas, who we didn't ever get a chance to talk about. What is he? Well, he was a pretty good corner before they moved him to safety and things didn't work out as well as they would have hoped. I think it was when they lost Adrian Amos, they figured these guys played together and, um, and they look a little bit alike and they play a little bit alike, let's, let's have them play that position and see if he can do it well I don't think that was his position I think he's going to move back to corner with Miami he's a lengthy corner and a very very athletic corner and what this guy is is a bulldog against the run and run support and taking on blockers especially Uh, you watch him take on blockers you start to really you know understand where he could come in for Vance Joseph on this team protecting the perimeter of the field Um, I think that you get him away from Penn State's system, which was more zone and more, uh, more off and short zones, cover two zones, quarters. Um, you get him into a press man, which you saw him play press man. I've seen, I've seen him play it against Brashad Perriman, for instance, and he played it very, very well. Um, you get him into those situations where he's playing that, and you kind of give him a new foundation in your defense and I think I would not be surprised at all if he ends up a better corner than Xavier and Howard. That's, that's how highly I think of Jordan Lucas. Wow. Um, it's, and it doesn't mean that I'm I'm down on Xavier and Howard still, because I look at him on tape and, and I, I see what they see. And I, I understand it and I get it. And I think that he could be successful uh, in their scheme. But I'm saying that if you, the only difference between the two was a college mismatch in the scheme. Uh, where Xavier Howard got to play a certain way, and so it makes him attractive enough to teams that run what they run, like the Dolphins. Whereas Jordan Lucas didn't get a chance to play in the same scheme as Xavier uh, Howard or in the one that he'll ultimately play in in the NFL. Uh, so that's the difference. That's the reason he fell as far as he did. But otherwise, this this could be a fantastic pick.
2: Yeah, looking at these last four players. It'll be interesting to see now that the Dolphins are starting to add that depth in the roster a little bit, who is going to actually make this final 53 man roster. Who's going to be on the practice squad. Uh, who's not going to make it altogether? Speaking of players who may be on the practice squad, you know, the draft really doesn't end here. Just with the, these seven rounds, we get on drafted free agents too. Um, you, just in years past, man, we've had some good ones. Devon best, Derek Shelby, uh, man. Oh man. We've, we've just several of them. Um, who, who sticks out from you among the Dolphins? I believe twenty-one undrafted free agents. Is it twenty-one? Wow!
5: Um, I, I think right away. I was guessing there, but name, it's, it, it might be yeah.
2: sixteen. <laughs>
5: <laughs> One of the names that jumped out uh, was James Burgess of Louisville, uh, and I will be looking at looking at for him and seeing if he can really catch on. He stood out at Louisville for his instincts and his uh, his hitting ability. I mean, he's a hard hitter. Uh, he's He's a guy that makes the highlight reel with his hits. Um, He kind of got lost a little bit through the all-star process, uh, watching him live in practices. They kind of got a little bit lost in the shuffle, and I wonder if that's going to continue at the next level. But actually the guy that uh, at that position that could stand out a little bit more is – and it's my understanding that the Dolphins have him, and if they don't, then, you know, we're wasting our time here, but Tyler Gray of Boise State, I believe he's on the list. And if he is, you know, six, three and a half, 238 pounds, uh, you watch him. He played a lot of different linebacker positions at Boise. He played a lot of different technique. Um, He even put his hand down and pass rushed uh, in certain situations uh, in some games, but otherwise he was, he was a Donnie Spragan on the line type of Sam linebacker or, uh, playing off and playing an, like an inside linebacker in a 3-4, taking on blocks and getting off them and, uh, and and making the play. And he really stood out because of his functional strength, his core strength. I don't think doesn't necessarily always tell you everything that you need to know about a guy's strength. Um, I, I I was really impressed with just the versatility that I saw and how he did everything pretty well. And he really took on blocks very well and stuck people with his, with his height and his length and, uh, and, and could get off the blocks. I think that he's one to watch. I wouldn't be surprised to see him kind of travel up the depth chart a little bit. Um, he, he might be one of the more pro-ready linebacker uh, prospects that we've added in, uh, in the last couple of years. I, I think that this is, uh, this is a guy that I'll be watching a lot. Um, there was another guy uh from I believe Kentucky, it was his name, Farrington Huguenin. I I don't know how to pronounce his name, but that's, um, that's but, a pretty good he,
2: shot at it, yeah. Yeah. He is he is
5: he is what he is. He is a run stopper. Um this is a guy that probably should be two gapping to, to be honest, but it it was for the time that he got on the field, um, it was really uh, uh, it, it was really surprising to see how often he could steer a blocker directly into the running back um, on a run play. And I, that was a quality that I liked in Jared Crick uh, when he came out way back. Um, and so that's that's kind of how I would view him, as he's a very specialized player that way. He's a very strong run anchor.
4: And if
5: he impresses them enough and if they decide that they, you know, in addition to the ketchup and the relish and the mayonnaise, that they need some mustard, they need some guy, somebody that can, that can be strong uh, in the run game that way, then you, you could actually see him make the roster. Um, but th- those would be the guys that I'd be looking to probably the most is Tyler Gray and uh, Farrington and then maybe James Bur- or, you know, Burgess. I'm not not quite sure what to make of, uh, of his fit, but um, those guys.
2: And Rashawn Scott, the wide receiver from Miami, is one that stuck out to me uh, a little bit, too, as somebody who may compete at the bottom of the roster, but all these undrafted free agents obviously have an uphill climb ahead of them. But if you see some of these players, these undrafted free agents, start to make the roster, you remember where you heard it first. Uh, Chris, we can't thank you enough for all of the effort and, and donating your time with a little one at home over these last three months to, to make it another great NFL draft season. Uh, to tie it off, uh, what, um, is there anything else you'd like to add?
5: No, I just want to thank you for, uh, for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, I think that it's been fun. And, uh, and now we get a much needed break, I think, from, uh, from talking about these draft 2017 which we yep. have already started doing. So, um, I think that I'm uh, sure it's, <laughs> it's been a good time. And, uh, and I did want to thank you.
2: Absolutely. CK join him on Twitter at CK parrot throughout this off season, throughout the Miami Dolphins season and heading up into the draft. Chris, have a good night. All
1: right. So God, that
3: was a, and it's interesting segment with a lot of info. Um, one other guy that I'd I point out and, and I'm blanking on his first name for some reason, but Mel Blount's son is actually one of the undrafted free agents. The Dolphins managed to grab and He actually looks like he's going to be one hell of a player at linebacker. Oh, have we got a chance to look at him at all. Nope. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Then
2: <clears throat>
3: there's a lot of undrafted so, free agents to look at. though.
2: Yeah. Yeah, there are. And yeah, you know, I'm, yeah, A lot of these guys have some uphill battles. Very definitely has the bloodlines there. And, you know, we saw Zach Vigil, Neville Hewitt, and Mike also, so three undrafted free agents at linebacker, make the team next year. Looking at the rest of the NFL and this draft, Paul, what, what are a few drafts that really stuck out for you um, in the NFL for the good?
3: Um, for the good, I would have to say, and I hate saying this,
5: You look at what
2: the
3: Bills did, they really got a lot of Rex Ryan-style players uh, for that defense. They got a good young quarterback in Cardale Jones that a lot of people had underrated. And with Colby Liston being an absolute burner late in the sixth round, uh, they really set their team up well to be what Rex wants them to be as well as to help out their offense. Um, Another team that actually did – or two teams, real quick, that did really well, in my opinion, uh, obviously the Jaguars. They added two top five players uh, in the first two rounds, and they're also getting Fowler back, which I know we can't really count in this draft, but, I mean, you're talking about three top five picks that are going to be seen in the field uh, this year, and then you look at the rest of their draft, and they just knocked it out of the park. And then the Colts also stick in the AFC South. Their draft was probably the least flashy best draft out there because they solidified their offensive line. They brought in a lot of talent to help out along that line. And and really, that's what they needed. They they had no push in the run game. Uh, their pass protection was lacking. Andrew Luck was getting battered and, and went out with an injury last year. You've got to protect your young franchise quarterback. quarterback. And that's what the Colts went out and did. Um, so those are three that really stick out to me. But what about yourself?
2: Yeah, I, I like uh, I definitely like two of the three, and I I do like what Buffalo did too. Not quite as much as you did. I wasn't quite as high on Reggie Ragland as you were throughout the year, uh, but e- even in the middle of the second round, I admit that that's that's good value for the pick. And uh, I and I would even say possibly a steal. Shaq Lawson goes 19th. I'm comfortable with that. I, I do like Cardell Jones more than other people too. Um, so I, I had five teams written down. I did have the Colts, did have the Jaguars for the reasons you listed. and to piggyback on the Colts, yeah, if you look at their first-round pick, Ryan Kelly, if you pointed to one player in this draft and said, regardless of position, who's going to be a pro bowler in their first year, I would point to Ryan Kelly. And that's been a huge problem for the Colts. They started Samson Satelli at that center position for two years, which will tell you all that you need to know. I also liked – uh, a couple of other, other ones. Uh, in, in typical fashion, as I as I seem to do every year, I, I like what the Baltimore Ravens did. Uh, you know, Ronnie Stanley at number six. You know, um, I, I, Ronnie Stanley for me was the fourth best player in the draft on my board. Tunzel was one based on talent. So, uh, you know, I'm fine with Stanley at six, even though they didn't take Tunzel. But you look at the rest of their board. Um, uh, Kamaleli uh, Correa from Boise State, an outside linebacker. Uh, Brandon Cafusi from BYU that big 3-4 defensive end and then in the fourth round they had four uh, picks and I, I really like two of them defensive end Willie Henry from Michigan who can be that 3-4 end and Kenneth Dixon from Louisiana Tech my one of my favorite players in the draft uh, and frankly somebody I probably would have taken over Kenyon Drake if I'm being honest um, also too looking, looking a little bit down the list The Detroit Lions, you know, not a very sexy, very flashy draft, but I I like what they did. Um, They took three offensive linemen in the first five rounds, and I think that was badly needed. They've been, you know – Really pushing it at the tackle position over the last few years. They got Taylor Decker, who they can possibly plug in at right tackle opposite Riley Reef. And Riley Reef's a free agent after the year, too. Third round, Graham Glasslow from Michigan. I always thought was an underrated player. Big guy. Joe Dahl, I think, is going to be one of the steals of this draft, uh, getting him in the fifth round. Um, they also got Ashawn Robinson in the second round, too, uh, who has the world of potential. And another one that I'll throw in there is the Minnesota Vikings. Treadwell and Mackenzie Alexander are, are to me two very good picks for them in the first two rounds. Treadwell, immediate starter, brings that size. Mackenzie Alexander, I think, is a is a major steal at the end of the second round. Didn't give up um, a touchdown here in his in his final year in Clemson. So, Paul, uh, how about how about the damage? What are a couple of drafts that you were not impressed with around the NFL? Well,
3: this one I'm actually happy as hell about um, to say, but. Honestly, the Jets draft—it really wasn't anything that impressed me. I mean, they tried to move up and, and were hoping Tunzel would fall into a position they could move into. So I get it; they want Darren Lee, who is going to help out their defense. But then you look at the second round—they were trying like hell to move back,
1: and when they couldn't
3: move back, just said, "Ah, <clears throat> okay, we'll just take Christian Hackenberg here," which was probably two, two and a half rounds too early to go after the kid. And I don't think he's a guy that can come in and be an impact starter or quarterback for them right away. And that's their biggest position and need at this point. I don't think they solidified their team whatsoever in this draft. Uh, and, and I think it's going to show this year. But moving on from them, I'd have to say the Atlanta Falcons uh, just had a an absolute meh draft. Um, it's, I mean, they got Keanu Neal, who's a good safety out of Florida State. They got Deion Jones, who, who is a decent inside linebacker, and Austin Hooper, who's okay. But to be honest with you, it's, they didn't really do much. They lost uh, one of their star-wide receivers and didn't really supplement it here. Uh, I know they took Devin Fuller late, but there's nothing about this draft that stands out as going to be an impact right away. Austin Hooper, he's more of a blocking tight end that will occasionally make the play downfield. Uh, I just wasn't impressed.
2: Yeah, Atlanta was one on there that I I had, uh, I think it's my third least impressive in this draft for for those reasons. Keanu Neal at 17 was a pretty big reach. I like Neal. I've always liked Neal more than other people, but even at 17, I got to say that's pretty high. Deion Jones, I know CK is extremely high on him. Uh, You know, I, I... I look at the size and I wonder if this guy can be a Dion Buchanan type. I don't quite see that ability. I see a very tall, very thin player. Um, Austin Cooper, I, I like Austin. Or excuse me, Austin Hooper from Stanford, I like a lot. But yeah, it was kind of a a blad draft. So that was one I had down too. Um, San Francisco, I thought was eh, not not too good either. The D. Force Buckner at at seven was was not a bad pick, but you know, back to back. Years they drafted Eric Armstead last year. You have those tall, angular Oregon defensive ends to play your 3 4 scheme. I, you know, I, if I'm playing a 3 4, I would prefer to get different players to be my plugging types, unless they're just big, dominant linemen. Josh Garnett, they traded up in the first round for be a day one starter, but you know, is the value there? I'm not quite sure. Did not like their third and fourth round picks of Will Redmond and Richard Robinson. Um, either so, and another one I'll, I'll throw in there that that didn't really impress me all that that much was the New York Giants. You know, Eli Apple at ten. My my, my issue with this pick is now that you've got Janoris Jenkins, you've got Eli Apple, you've got Dominique Rodgers-Cromartie. You have got dominique Rogers cromartie you have 3 cornerbacks, but none of them have played the slot before. Maybe Jenkins can do it, but then you know he's he's really getting beaten up on the inside there. Uh, I I thought that Laramie Tunzel would have been a perfect pick for them, regardless of the video, because you can take Tunzel, insert him at left tackle, have Justin Pugh at that right tackle spot, and now you've, if Tunzel, assuming he stays out of trouble, you got your bookends for the next, you know, seven or eight years. Uh, Sterling Shepard, I I thought was a pretty decent pick, but I, I, you know, high second round, I, I raised my eyebrow at that too. Pittsburgh Steelers, as well, not all that impressed with their their first two picks, Artie Burns and, and Sean Davis. I feel like uh, Davis is more that plugging type of safety, and Artie Burns is a little bit rough around the edges, even though I kind of like him. But I do like their third round pick, Javon Hargrave, uh, that that CK brought up earlier. So, Paul, that is going to do it for us uh, for the NFL draft season. Um, I want to give a shout out to one of our listeners, Honre and the Miami Dade Fire Rescue Squad. Keep up the great work that you're doing there. Hopefully he has a chance to listen to us here tonight. So, Paul, wrapping up the NFL draft, uh, any other passing thoughts before we really put a bow on this NFL draft season?
3: No, I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of the moves the Dolphins make this offseason. I'm looking forward to seeing if the rookie uh, mini camp changes do, in fact, have an impact on these kids and get them out of the gate ready to go a little faster. Uh, I'm really excited based on what I've seen thus far, regardless of value, et cetera. So a lot, a lot of pieces left to go, but we're, we're one step closer to being back to football.
2: One step closer, indeed. And uh, remember, if it is not on the left side and it's not on the right side, it is on the fin side. Solo D is going to take us home here.
1: For the right side, then it must be the fifth side. It ain't the left side. For the right, right side, then it must be mm-hmm. the fence side. Listen, y'all fans across the land all tuning in to see what Brian Cat and Paul about to do again. We rep our team, you can't change, stop, or ruin it. All we need is to figure what to do to win. Fins radio, live and direct. Win or lose, we're showing up for every contest.